Good morning, everyone. I'm, my name is Preston Pence, and I'm an elder here at Common Ground, and I am honored to be with you this morning. Nothing more exciting to me than we get together and open God's Word. And with that, we are continuing in our study of Philippians, and we're going to be today in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And I'm going to start out by reading those verses because I want us to be grounded in those as we begin our discussion. And for those of you in your Bible in the seat, it's 1084. I was very proud that I thought to do that. <laughs> Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Just two short verses, but quite action-packed as we get into it. And uh, so, but what I want to do is I want to start out by asking you a question. And that question is, have you ever been in a situation where you've kind of prejudged the situation or the person, or you've reached conclusions about somebody or something, and later you were proved how wrong you were in reaching that conclusion? I see a lot of heads go, and I've got several examples. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you one this morning. It's kind of shallow, but I think it really drives the point home well for what I want to make. And that, that's, that's what happened is when I was growing up, my mother and I, had sweet tooths, and I did that in the past tense in my home groups going, no, he still has a sweet tooth, but uh, we both loved desserts, and my, my mother's favorite dessert was cheesecake, and for me, I would never try cheesecake. I mean, to me, it, the picture in my mind was of a sugary lump of cheddar cheese, <laughs> and I could not get that out of my mind, so I never tried it. So... Fast forward 12 years, I'm a stubborn person at times, so. and my parents had moved to New Jersey. I was in college and summer break, so I took a week or two weeks off and go to go see them and go to New Jersey. My father wanted to drive us to New York City, home of what? The best cheesecakes. And so we actually end up going to lunch at a delicatessen. And sure enough, we had a nice lunch. My mother ordered cheesecake. And she took her second bite, and she looked at me and said, you have got to try this. This is the best cheesecake I've ever had. Well, she saw my immediate hesitancy. I've been holding out for over 12 years now. And, uh, but then she got very intense, and she said, you are going to try this cheesecake. And I think we all know when mothers say it that way, you, you tend to obey. And I did. So now let me tell you, I took that bite, and it's like in a movie. Birds were singing. <laughs> Bells were going off. The gray sky parted and sunshine came down. And I had a moment of euphoria. <laughs> I spent the next several years trying to make up for all my lost opportunities <laughs> to eat cheesecake. 
Now, I t t and what I really reflected on, how much pleasure I lost because of my closed-mindedness. I tell you that to tell you this. I was the same way when I read Philippians 2, verse 12. And I'll summarize the part. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I focused on the words work and salvation. And I'm like, you don't work for your salvation. That's totally contrary to the teaching of the New Testament. So I closed my mind to that verse and skipped over it pretty much every time I ran across it. And now my moment of embarrassment for you. Think what I did. I, closed, I was closed-minded to the inspired word of God. Whole nother story and we could be teaching, but I'll just leave it at that for you. But for me, I, I was so, so closed-minded until God convicted me. I was reading it one day and finally God convicted me of that. I did the research. I did the inquiry, and embarrassingly, it didn't even take me long to conclude. That is not what this verse says. It doesn't say work for your salvation, work at your salvation, or work toward your salvation. It says work out your salvation. And working out means you already have it. So this verse is to somebody that is already saved. And what this verse is essentially saying is you have been saved. Do not stop there. I want you to live out the, your life as God intended, experiencing the blessings of salvation. And when I understood that, it was like the cheesecake for me. It was a moment when I'm like, oh my, what have I been missing? And the more I studied these verses, my mind, I concluded these verses are jewels that are pointing us to the abundant life. And so I go from there, and I'm excited for us to go through those verses today. I hope you conclude the same thing. These verses are directing us to something quite unique and special. So with that, as we go into the verse... Verse 12, we're going to not go far. The word therefore is coming up. And when you see the word therefore, it means you need to go back and read some of the previous verses to make sure you have the right context or you're appreciating what the writer is trying to help you understand so you'll appreciate the current verses in the right way. Luckily and fortunate for us, Derek took us through verses 1 through 11 last week. And that's what Paul is pointing us back to. And so to kind of summarize that, my thought is why Paul is taking us back there is that when you look at what Derek revealed to us last week is that for us to build a solid church, for us to be united as a church, we have to have certain qualities in us and then come together to bring unity to us as a, as a church. And those qualities are things like thinking more of others than ourselves, servant attitude. And uh, Derek's comment was unity 
through humility. So to possess those qualities, you have to be in a solid relationship with Jesus personally. And that is what our verses are going to be about today. So I think that's why he's directing us back there. The other reason I think he's directing us back there is that in verses 8 through 11, it talks about Jesus, the sacrifice that Jesus made, and Jesus' qualities that he had. And when you look at those, it was servant, humble, and obedient. And so he wants to make sure we keep in mind as we go through these verses Jesus as our example. And one of the important parts of, I think, him being an example is that it also says in those verses that Jesus took on human form. And when he did that, what essentially was happening is he yielded, his, he began to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to be accomplished everything that he was guided to do. And he was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit to accomplish his obedience. Keep that in mind as we go through these verses because that is something we're going to be called to do as well. And with Jesus as our example, I think we'll be encouraged by that. Okay, so now going into verse 12. But before we get there, I'm going to give you a red alert. The red alert is this. Because don't forget, this verse is, is, is directed at somebody saved. The red alert for us is once you are saved, we're not to stop there. We're not to settle in. We're not to become complacent. We're really continuing to strive forward. And so essentially what this verse is saying is that continue and do so in such a way that you are living out what you've been called to do. That you, you continue in your salvation, living it out the way God intended, and then through that, you will, be, you will be blessed. And you will live out and experience the blessings of salvation. And so, as we realize that, we begin to realize the importance of building a relationship with Jesus. Because what's happened is that we, as, as we go into um, our walk with the Lord, the abiding relationship, the connection with Jesus is where we get our strength and power. And so with that verse, the red alert for me is this. Don't relax. Don't be complacent. And now let me tell you, uh, let me demonstrate that to you more clearly. Think back to when you were first saved. You remember the exuberance you had? You remember the excitement that you had when you learned about all Christ had done for you? The expectations you had of living a life that is grounded in the power and the blessings and the love of Jesus? And then you begin to, time goes on. So this is what typically happens. Time goes on, and the world begins to draw us in. We begin to be deceived by the world, and we begin to be confused by the world. 
and we begin to operate on our own strength. And when we do that, when we operate on our own strength, then we get into a bad situation. And so what happens is from that, this example, to make it real, you all of a sudden you realize your expectations are not being met and you're discouraged. You realize the blessings you were experiencing are less frequent. And so you ask yourself, what is going on? How can this be possible? And the reason is we hold up a mirror. It's us. We are designed to be in continuous relationship with Jesus once we're saved. And when we break that, then we begin to be operating on our own strength. And that's a dangerous thing for us to do. And so what we're reminded of is that through the Holy Spirit, we're being called to be in that intimate relationship with Jesus always. And in fact, the words that Paul uses here, the tense and everything, are really along the lines of us putting all of our energy into a continuous and sustainable relationship with Jesus. Because one thing we need to understand is that when we are saved and we the blessings that we were expecting to receive once we were saved, the blessings, the power, and the promises of God materialize when we're in intimate relationship with Jesus. So think about that for a second. If you want to experience those things, they only materialize when you're in the relationship with Jesus. And when you're out of that relationship, you don't experience them then. So the glorious truth of the matter is this. Once we're saved and we're reconciled to God, he immediately transfers and imparts to us the Holy Spirit. And it's the same Holy Spirit that was with Jesus to guide him and empower him. So we have the Holy Spirit within us. And part of the Spirit's role is to make us mindful of things. And one is that he causes us to trust in the death that Christ died for our redemption. But once saved, he also creates in us the trust that Christ can live through us and that he can be our guide. For to be in Christ means that we're fit for heaven. But for Christ to be in us means that we're fit to live the life that God intended for us on earth. And it's a pretty profound thing that we're saying here. And so, the, as a result of that, Jesus in his humanness, he really calls us into that intimate relationship with him. And so we begin to adding a verse that I was going to take out but I think it's important and that verse is Jesus is also reminding us in John 15 5 
I'm the vine, you're the branch. If a person, in, 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 in a person abides in me and I in him, then he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the reason I went back and forth about leaving in there was the time. But it's such an important thing because this is a picture of abiding. It's the, almost the perfect picture. He's the vine. He nourishes us. He guides us. He strengthens us. We're the branch. Our job is to stay connected. And when we're connected, we work together to bear much fruit. And this is kingdom fruit we're talking about. Apart from him, when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing of kingdom value at all. So Jesus, in his humanness, was totally dependent upon the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants us to be totally dependent upon him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the question becomes, what can Jesus accomplish through us? Everything. Even the supernatural. There's nothing that he can't accomplish by living through us. However, he's limited by two things. Our lack of interest in following him, our lack of our lack of our, our lack of our availability. And so we can hinder him working through us. However, that is not what we want to do. And so the question becomes, what do we do to prevent that? And I'm just going to give you a personal example. I'm actually going to demonstrate the problem with that. So when I looked at myself and I, and I read this availability, I said, what's my problem? And my problem is work. I let work interfere way too much with my availability for Jesus for my abiding time. And here's what happened to me over the last few weeks. I'm preparing for this sermon. I had allocated several weeks where I was going to take early morning, take the mornings, and I was going to do abiding time, and I was going to prepare the sermon. First two weeks, an inordinate amount of work came. Opportunities and all types of things came up. And they were very, people were very demanding that I participate. And I did. I gave priority to work. And this went on for two weeks with my intent of still finding time to work on the sermon. And I didn't. I went two weeks. I didn't abide. And I didn't prepare the sermon. Starting the third week, I became grumpy. I know it's hard to believe, but I came hard to live with. I actually was irritable and impatient with those around me. Please don't look at Linda right now. And, uh, um, and so I even got to the point where I was wondering if I was qualified to deliver the sermon. Now think about that. How far I went in a short period of time by not abiding. Now, I want to be careful here. You miss a day of abiding 
I'm not saying that. I truly went to a point where my mind was so absorbed with work, almost 15 hours a day for two or three weeks. And I just lost perspective, which you can do. So, it, and what this portrays is the importance of abiding. It making it a priority in your life. It makes such a difference. So my question to you is, my challenge is work. What's yours? Is it school where you have all these continuous demands and deadlines and it just begins to overwhelm you? Is it family and all the commitments and all the challenges that you have in your family? Is it social media? Is it sports? Is it video games? Think of the multitude of things that can be in our life that cause us to be distracted in such a way we truly are not, we're giving up our time with Jesus and how scary that is. So I just encourage you to think about that and pray about that. What is it? Because as we're going through this, we'll see more and more the importance of the abiding relationship and the beauty and magnificence of it on one side and the downside when we quit. So we make choices. I made poor choices recently. But so with that, we continue in our verse. And I want to point out one thing as we're going through. Paul used the words, an interesting one to me, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I first wanted to pass over that. I'm like, okay, fear and trembling. But then it, I did look into it, and I realized there's something of great value here. As we're working out our salvation, God is saying, be mindful of me. I am the Lord God Almighty. I'm the maker of heaven and earth. I am God. Be mindful of me as you're working out your salvation. This is a great gift that you have. So you should be doing it with a heart of thanksgiving. You should be doing it with bringing glory to God as you're doing this. And so it puts you in the right frame of mind to be motivated to work out your salvation. And then I went to the word trembling. And that word kind of connotates something I wasn't expected. And that connotates that we are to really do a self-evaluation as we're going through and working out our salvation. And that, salva and that, that self-analysis centers on this. We're to go through working out our salvation with self-distrust. I'll say that again. Self-distrust. We are to have no confidence in our own wisdom and knowledge. We're not to have confidence in our own strength because all of that leads to us moving to independent and to self. But when we realize how insufficient we are, how weak we are, and this, somebody even mentioned that to me this morning, when you're weak, God works mighty work through you. And that's what this is saying. 
working out your salvation, surrender and be totally dependent on me, and I will help you work it out. And we're going to see that clearly in verse 13. So he's saying, as you go through your salvation, work. Do so with the right mindset. And so as we go through this, the other aspect of that on fear and trembling is to, to me that when we are <coughs> working that out and we fail to do so and we quit abiding, so I'm going to hit on that abiding or working out your salvation one more time in a different direction. And that is this, that when we cease it, we cease allowing the Holy Spirit to impart to us God's wisdom, to work in our hearts to change us. And so what happens is when we cease abiding, we begin to experience failure and disappointments. And we also begin to have uh, our spiritual peace is impacted. And here's the interesting thing about that. If you stop there and repent, you can turn that around. But if it continues, here's what happens next. Then you move to anxiety, worry, and fear. And I've, somebody told me this not too long ago. And those are the great robbers of the abundant living when we get to that point. So abiding is important. And the other thing that we need to be mindful of is we're in a spiritual battle. It is essential that we don't fight the battle on our own. And so Jesus is always saying, I'm here for you. I will help you fight the battle. Because that's what's happening. The world tries to deceive us and move us away. So I'm going to get us to turn to John 10.10. Because I think this is where it's explained extremely well. And this is Jesus' own words. And Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Wow, think of the contrast. So we do have an enemy, he's real. Doesn't mean you're always in fear of that, but you need to be aware. And I'm gonna rephrase the first part with my own addition. The thief comes to steal your peace and joy. The thief comes to steal, kill our family relationships. The thief comes to destroy our intimacy our walk, and our faith and trust in the Lord. And so that's his motive all the time. Jesus, on the other side, is saying, I'm here to give you life and give it abundantly. So again, it kind of rises up to a choice. How do we live? Do we live in the intimate, abiding, connected life with Jesus through the Holy Spirit? Or do we live on our own and allow the world to suck us in where we have an enemy that is actively 
trying to do things to us and make us miserable and to really steal, kill, and destroy. So I say that to us as we continue um, from 12 to 13. Just keep that in mind. The might and the power of the connectivity we have through Jesus and all the benefits that we get from that. Now, as we digest everything we've talked about, I'm sure it can be overwhelming. <clears throat> but because of that, I'm confident that God inspired Paul to write verse 13. Now, verse 13, I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk about it. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So to me, I'm hooray, the Calvary has just arrived. God is working in us. And, and, the, and the phrase that came to me was what Jesus said to his disciples when he was going to the cross. I will not leave you as orphans. And here... God is telling us, I am with you. I will help you work out your salvation. Trust me. And so there's a confidence that we get from this. And because he is working on our behalf. So the central point of this verse, and, it, and when you read it, I don't know about you, but I had to read it several times to kind of grasp he works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is working in us to get our will to conform to his will. And there's no better way, place to live life than in God's will. And he's also saying, once you understand my will, I'm going to energize you, motivate you, and guide you to be obedient and live out my will. And so that's essentially what God is saying here. And then when you sit back and think of it, you think of it, I do this way. God wants to partner with us. And Derek reminds us of that all the time. God has chosen to work through his people to accomplish his purposes. So what we're talking about here is God accomplishes his purposes through us. It is an honor and a privilege that we have to partner with God and to see him work through us to accomplish mighty things. And so what happens, and also to realize he's enabling us to do all that. He's equipping us to do all that. And so when we when we're connected to him in such a way, here's kind of what happens. I'm going to give you some examples. There's two aspects to how God is working in us. One is he works with us to reconcile to his will so that we can join him and he can accomplish his purposes on a much bigger scale. The other thing he's doing is working in us to change us, to conform us, to Christ's image, but to prepare us for the good work. And as I started out earlier, and prepare us 
to be a solid member of the church. And so he's working two fronts with us, and he's working it. Let me give you an example. God calls you to serve in some capacity. Simultaneously, God will give you the desire to serve, and he will also equip you to serve. God's going to give you, God's going to call you to be more holy. Simultaneously, God will help you see the path to holiness. He will equip you in creating you a mindset that you can be more holy with the help of the Holy Spirit. God will ask you to do something that you think is impossible. But he's going to call you to obedience and tell you, I'll equip you and empower you to be obedient, and together we can accomplish this. So God's always working in us to help us, all centered around conforming us to Jesus and centered around him accomplishing his will. And the other aspect of God's work, to kind of give us a flavor for that, is conforming us to, to Jesus and to his image and to building up a people for us that are worthy to serve God. I'll give you a couple of examples of that. God convicts you that you have been speaking unkind words and participating in gossip about a fellow believer. And God says to you, I have convicted you of this. I will give you the words and I will give you the courage but you've got to work it out. God says, I want you to quit gambling. And God says, I'll strengthen you to do it. But you've got to work it out. God says that you have, in your household, have been hard, and this wasn't me he was talking about, hard to live with. And, and you've actually been unkind. And you've been... Uh, unloving to those in your household. Now I'm convicting you of this and I will give you the healing words and I will change your heart but you got to work it out. So we see that God is working in us and we have to cooperate with God to work it out, to turn it into a reality. So there is that mystery that people associate with this verse. It's the combination of God working in and through us and our response of human energy and obedience that helps that work so God accomplishes his purposes. And the mystery part too is he does all that without taking away our free will. We can short circuit it. However, when you're connected and you're in, you're in the midst of it and you feel the energy and the power and you begin to experience God at work, you're less and less inclined to be against his will. So we see that there's a big change going on for us. And one thing that, that I'm reminded here is that so when we're saved, it's by God's grace working through our faith. 
when God is progressing us in sanctification, is God's, God's grace working in our obedience. So God wants us to progress in the sanctification process. And I keep using that word. I'm going to make sure I answer. That means you becoming more like Christ, possessing his qualities and his character. And so it's a beautiful thing that God is doing in us. Now, one of the last things that, you, that, that he says in this verse I want both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Another interesting aspect of this is that we can bring pleasure to God. And how do we do that? The essentials are we understand his will and we're obedient to cooperate with him to accomplish his will. And that's repetitive of what we just said, but now I'm just adding... When we do that, we please God. And I don't know about you, but that brings me great pressure that I'm pleasing God. You know, we're all working and we're waiting. We're hoping when we go to heaven, we hear that, those words. What are they? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well, we can get a little bit of that here by knowing that when we seek God's will with all our heart, we understand his will we cooperate with him to energize and empower us. We accomplish his will. He is pleased. And the definition of pleased there is enjoyment and satisfaction. So he gets satisfaction from our obedience. So there's a lot here today. But I'm going to summarize that with what I'm calling the big picture thought. And that's what Derek likes for us to all do. What's the big picture thought? And the big picture thought for me that take, ties it together is this. We have been saved, but we're not to stay there. We are to actively pursue the abundant life only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. And be encouraged, for God will help you get there. So it's a play on our mission statement with the bookends of the front and the back being drawn from what we talked about today. So it's a beautiful picture for us to keep in mind. <clears throat> and as, we, as I conclude here, I'm going to also offer you some next steps. That you can do. And the next steps are my, my suggestions. But one would be that you commit to seeking out abiding relationship with God, with Jesus. And then simultaneously, you begin to list out, become aware of all the things that hinder you from living that out. And then you pray and ask God to make it clear, what's the path? What do I need to do to remove those obstacles? And the next thing that I would ask you to consider is to pray about what God is working in you. How is God working in you 
and what do you need to work out? Which was kind of the, the title of the sermon. Work out what God works in. It's a good thought for us. He's always working in us, always trying to change us, always working for our good. So be mindful of how he's working and what he wants to do in our life. And with that, I will close with prayer. Thank you, Morgan. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day. And we thank you, Father, for the magnificence of who you are. We thank you, Father, that you've called us into intimate relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, that you care and concern for us. You're willing to go and always be with us and never leave us or forsake us. And you call us, Lord, to a life of abundant life. You cause us, Lord, to realize you are the source of abundant living. And from that is where we experience peace and joy and righteousness and holy living. It is there, Father, where we begin to have right relationships with family and friends and coworkers and fellow believers. It is in the midst of our relationship with you where we are protected and we're guided. And so we thank you, Lord, for your, your plan of design for us to work out our salvation and to experience the blessings of salvation even while we're here. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.